Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim and every week I'll be bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. Happy Women's History Month. That's right, it's girl power all day, every day. And we'll be looking back at some pretty awesome TV shows and cartoons starring some iconic women. It's the last Women's History Month episode and we are going out with a bang as we talk Ocean Girl and Emily of New Moon. And we take a special look at Xena the Warrior Princess. Told you we're going out with a bang. So, let's get started. Yes, do you feel the power of a woman? I'm going to miss hearing that this month. Are you, Paul? Yeah, it's been um, it's been a good month, I think. Like, um, it's always a shame when we say goodbye to these um, these celebratory months, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously we'll talk about Xena later, but that, that, that Xena cry, it's more annoying than... I thought it was going to be. Cause the thing is, it's like an Arabian war cry kind of thing, isn't it? I don't quite kind of know where it's, <laughs> what was it about? I wouldn't, I don't think it's Arabian. Or yeah. yeah if you think, part of the world. if you think like for the Arabian war cry, that's what they do, right? I don't know. I'm sure that's what they do. I mean, I, I mean, I haven't been to war with them, so I don't really know firsthand, but yeah, I mean, I, pers- <laughs> personally, I don't think they do, but yeah, it, We'll talk about it obviously later, but it's a lot more annoying than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, before we start the show, I know you're a big Formula One fan. Oh my god, drive and, to survive! Uh, talk about. Well, no, uh, Murray oh. Walker was what I was. Ah oh, man, this is like that came as a complete shock. I mean, obviously he was like he was getting on a bit once, and it was he was he ninety seven or ninety three? He was in his nineties, definitely. He, I mean, obviously, like, you got to say, like, Murray Walker, absolute legend of the sport. There's no one that even comes close to the passion that he delivered on the mic. Like I said, he was getting on a bit, but it was, um, it came as a complete shock to me because I didn't even know that he was sick, you know, um, or even if he was sick. Uh, but anyway, yeah, like, it's an absolute tragedy for the sport. Yeah, I mean, I've read his book. I've uh, obviously grown up listening to him. I remember being really sad when he when he left formula one and and to be honest it's never really been the same since it's never it's never really felt the same i, I, I don't really know what to say it's such a sad sad i mean yeah you sorry you say that um he's a big icon of, of 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 formula one i mean he was a big icon of british sports he was for me like the voice of british sports in the 90s like the voice of my childhood when i think of like commentators i think of like him i think of brian moore with the football like he's like one of those voices that you like never ever forget. I mean, there was a video that was doing the rounds where he was like choking up when uh, Damon Hill. Oh yeah, he, 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 and I've got to and I've got to stop because I've got a lump in my throat. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, when that that that's like I was watching that video. I was like, whoa, this is. Yeah, I can't remember the race, but I remember Damon Hill crossing the line. Um... Yeah, and he and he, and he wins his work first world title. I mean, yeah. look. 1996, I think it was. I yeah, I ain't the biggest Formula One fan, but even I knew who Damon Hill was, and obviously all the all the other main sort of characters. Hill, Mansell, Lauda, Hunt, Rubens Barrichello, Mika Hakkinen, David Coulthard. Oh, I think you mentioned Michael Schumacher as well. But obviously, yeah, it was um, that was when I think yeah, Formula One, and you had um the chain Fleetwood Mac as the uh, the theme song. 
it was obviously yeah like the 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 height of like british sports i think in the uh in the 90s and 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 murray walker was obviously a big 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 part of that and he was obviously like i said he's a big part of my childhood in terms of like the voice and you know go 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 and yeah i mean i would recommend anyone uh, reading his book too um he's got a really great autobiography um out and and uh, obviously it's quite old now i mean i it was old when i when i bought it but um it's it's a, it's actually a really really good read and a great insight into just how much he knew because a lot of people just think oh he knew formula 1 but he used to race motorbikes um you know he was in world war 2 he's been commentating on everything you can everything that has an engine in it he's commentated on um his knowledge was unparalleled in 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 the motor racing world yeah ab- absolutely and he and he and he's someone that will be uh definitely missed and uh there was some even more grim news in america when uh some guy i think went to sort of asian massage parlors and asian businesses and and shot him up yeah i think eight women died and i don't know if they were all asian i think like mass majority i think maybe six were at least of uh of asian of asian descent and there were women. It's also worth noting that it wasn't a terrorist attack, though, because um, he wasn't the right skin tone for it. No, it was a, it was it was a fetish that he had. Yeah, I, I mean, this was obviously disgusting, and of, it's one of those things. I mean, we've we've covered quite a lot of tragedy this month, and uh, just seems to go. Well, on. I think the police were saying, "Oh, he had a bad day. That's why he did what he did. Had a bad day, so yeah. So what I'm going to do. I've I've had a bad day. So what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a gun and." And target, you know, women, women of a of a certain background because you've got some kind of fetish. This is all gonna like all gonna come back to America's gun laws, isn't it? I mean, I know they have got the um, the whole right to bear arms or whatever in their um, constitution, but come on, man! I mean, it's got to be hard to, to go and that shoot someone up, so isn't it? That's so old. That yeah. constitution stuff—it's old. But you know what? Like, I what I said was, America literally sucked it up and just sort of let it go when those when they shut up those kids in Sandy Hook. If they didn't do gun laws and amend gun laws then, they're never ever gonna do it. You could have million gun related stuff like this. They would never after Sandy Hook, they will never ever change it. Never. Forget about it. If if you can like unconscionably like go and carry on life, even when you've seen a guy go to a school and shoot up little kids and then just kind of say, you know what, we're not going to do anything after that. You're never going to do anything. Never. Yeah, it's true. Um, what can you say, man? These people are these people are sick. And if you're not going to do anything about it, you know, how are you protecting your citizens, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, got, when, when, it, when it comes to stuff like that, you, in my opinion, obviously, I'm, I'm a nobody, but you've got to have like a one rule to fit all kind of situation, not a... Oh, but it's only the few that are letting everyone else down. Everyone else, you know, wh- why do you need a gun like that? Yeah, and what what, what were we, 25th, uh, 25 years since uh, Dunblane in uh, the UK? And obviously Dunblane was like a moment for, for us to be like, yeah, that's it. We can't be about that gun life. That's what it took in this country, Dunblane, where the guy shot up all of those kids. And you know what? I saw a bit of the documentary that um, what's her name, Lorraine Kelly did. I never realized how young those kids were. 
they were like four, five years old. Four, five years old. And like, it was like a whole classroom of them. And uh, a couple of teachers who who were killed. And, and, and obviously that made everybody or made, you know, the, the powers that be in, 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 in the whole of the United Kingdom say, you know what, we need to pass some kind of uh, regulation. Obviously, yeah, in America, it's a lot more complicated. And obviously, this uh, guy who did what he did, I mean, he's he's a terrorist. And it's crazy because anti-Asian, like, crimes and anti-Asian sentiment has kind of, like, gone on the rise since uh, the coronavirus. You literally had the sitting president of the United uh, States calling it the China virus, Kung flu, and all of this stuff, and... What the hell is the normal citizen going to be? But obviously, anti-Asian sentiment. This like runs deep in America. This is like long before coronavirus, when I think Chinese immigrants. I didn't even know all of this stuff. So like Chinese immigrants were in America since the 1800s, and they were like massacred because they thought that they were bringing some kind of flu again. Obviously, in World War Two, you had the internment camps for Japanese people. So what they did was after Pearl Harbor, they literally put Japanese people in this town in America, just put them in some internment camp until until the war ended. If you want to talk about South South Asian sentiment after 9-11 and how hate crimes against like people who even look Muslim. So how people saying, oh well Islamophobia is not it's not it's not racism, but it's like you attack some, you attack a Sikh person because you think he looks Muslim. You attack Indian people because you think he looks Muslim. That's racism to me. And obviously now with this stuff, and uh, you've got, like I keep saying, the sitting president of the United States was talking like this. And you had you know a lot of people who would be sending jokes and things like that about Chinese people and the coronavirus. And it's like, what do you think is going to happen? when you keep all this kind of stuff. Yeah, inciting racial hatred, surely. I mean, that's a, that's a crime. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at the very least, this was this was a hate crime and this was a, a targeted, targeted hate crime. So, yeah, there you go. Right, let's, uh, let's get on with the show now. And we're going to start with uh, Ocean Girl. And uh, this show came out in uh, August 1994. And there's some of the things happening in the world. Groups of protesters spread from Havana's Cuba's Castillo de la Punta Point Castle, creating the first protest against Fidel Castro's government since 1959. Woodstock 94 begins in Saugatees, New York, and it is the 25th anniversary of Woodstock in 1969. The Russian army leaves Estonia and Latvia ending the last traces of Eastern Europe's Soviet occupation. Clear and present danger is in the cinemas. And Stay, I Missed You by Lisa Loeb was number one in the charts. So yeah, Ocean Girl was uh, an Australian sci-fi TV series aimed for family audiences starring Marzena Godecki as the lead character. The show is set in the near future and focuses on an unusual girl named Neri who lives alone 
in an island and the friendship she develops with the inhabitants of an underwater research facility called Orca or the Oceanic Research Centre of Australia. And the show is an example of deep ecology science fiction and it, in Ocean Girl inspired an animated series, The New Adventures of Ocean Girl, which ran from 2000 to 2001. And the animated series is in a distinct reboot separate from the original live action show. In the UK, the show was broadcast under the title Ocean Odyssey, and it used to come on BBC Two. Now I remember. I remember Ocean Odyssey, but I never used to think it was called Ocean Girl. Yeah, the the name rings a bell now you said that. Yeah, Ocean Odyssey. I remember it used to come on, on BBC Two, but I never, never really used to uh, watch it. And uh, Common Sense Media gave the show a rating of four out of five stars, saying, and I quote, the plot is almost as complex and twisty as Lost, and the action is crackling and nonstop. The mysteries are many, and the lead character, Neri, is enchanting. Any scene where she appears are pretty much guaranteed to be cool. And the show was given a user rating of 8.3 out of 10 on TV.com, based on 132 votes. So yeah, Neri is a, a young girl with an affinity for water, the ability to swim long distances and superhuman lung capacity. She lives alone on a deserted island and sleeps in a nest in a tree. And she befriends two Australian boys, Jason and Brett Bates. And the Bates brothers live in Orca, and as the series progressed, it is revealed that Neri came to Earth on a spaceship with her father when she was young. Though his death soon after the ship's crash left Neri to fend for herself. Prior to meeting Jason and Brett, Neri's only friend was a humpback whale, who she names Charlie. And as Neri gradu gradually discovers more of her island and orca, she also begins to understand her greater purpose. This self-awakening is particularly enhanced by encounters with others of her kind. And in the second season, she discovers her sister, Mira, and the two are given the opportunity to return to their home planet. Mira avails herself of this option, but Neri, stales, Neri stays, feeling that she must discover what her father was trying to do on Earth. And in the third season, she gains entry into the downed spacecraft that originally brought her to Earth. There she finds another of her people in suspended animation. The new character, Cal, proves to be the son of the commander of the vessel and helps her tap into the ship's memory core. She finds the ship's log in which Cal's mother explains that Neri's father was there to repair the damage done to the Earth's oceans with an advanced device called the Synchronium. She then dedicates her life to her father's cause, giving her a genuine sense of purpose that she had perhaps lacked earlier in the series. So let's talk about Ocean Girl or Ocean Odyssey. So it's an Australian one. So obviously I was quite pleased with that. It's a kind of cool show about a very mysterious girl and a futuristic kind of research lab, which I thought was quite cool. I'm not sure about how you found it, because I was like, they land on that little ship thing and then they descend into the ocean with this like kind of colony under the ocean. I thought that was pretty damn cool. Yeah, it, it, it when you when you when you say it like that, it is it is pretty cool and I never really uh never took notice of the fact that it was kind of set 
slightly into into the future. I just kind of took it for what it was and watched it. Yeah, I mean, I, what I liked is the um, kind of Sea World stuff, where you know when you walk through the tunnels and you can see see the sea and stuff like that. I thought that was awesome. And then little guy uh, Brett waving at the the guy just um, chilling out in the in the sea. Yeah, I thought it was quite a cool little. I thought it was very very cool concept. Yeah, I thought it was pretty well delivered. And like I said, the Australian thing, so like quite dear to my heart anyway. I definitely get the Lost reference. I feel like this is a an investment show like you have to actually invest in this show and you can't really sort of skip and take shortcuts and and then and then and, and just kind of sort of jump in jump in and jump out i mean i i i've i wrote castaway references because um i never watched lost but obviously watched castaway and i thought thing is that I, I remember i started to watch lost and thought that it was just going to be a, like a series like castaway um but how wrong was I? And I, oh, yeah, Lost was rubbish for me. It I wasn't know. rubbish, but it was, was, I think I think the problem with Lost good, was though. it was very good. Lost was actually outstanding in the end. And but I think I think what the problem with Lost was it was some of the storylines were too complicated, and it's one of those where they're telling you, look, trust us, stick with us, and it will be worth it. And more often than not, some of the audience might think, you know what? No, I don't trust y'all. Get to the point or we're not interested. And obviously Lost were like, look, we're going to stick with this. This is what we're trying to do. This is what we're, 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 we're doing. And for 90% of the time, I got it and it was brilliant. But obviously for me, the 10% was just, okay, what the hell is this? Oh, what the hell happened there? Who's this guy? Oh, I thought that guy died in season three. What the hell is he doing back in season five? <laughs> yeah. It's like me watching gonna the tribe. Leave this island and, and, and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> the tribe. Oh. <laughs> good times. Good times. But um, I liked this show enough. I thought it, I thought it was good enough. What I liked is it was quite a simple show. Um, there wasn't much. I don't think it was simple. It, it got complicated. Well, I mean... I mean, I didn't watch it. We were talking about Ocean Girl still, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, I mean, I, I didn't get to the complicated bit because I only watched the first couple of episodes of the first series, but I liked where it was going and there wasn't too much character development going on. It was literally a girl's friends of a whale and, you know, some boys are reluctantly, well, one of them was reluctantly going into the sea for six months or whatever it was. It kind of had a like a CITV feel about it. I'm not sure if you found... I know it's broadcast on the BBC, but I mean, what I'm talking about is like the actual delivery of the show. I don't know what a CITV feel is. I mean, it's like it's like a kid's version of like, I'm going to contradict myself now, but it's like a kid's version of like Red Dwarf kind of thing. Um, and I know that was broadcast on the BBC, but what I mean is... It's nothing like Red Dwarf. No, I mean, what I mean is like the set and the kind of characters. It was a bit like kind of a little bit wacky and it had the weird... Uh, what was his name? The commander guy, um, and the the kind of CITV sets. Maybe they borrowed the set from CITV. I don't know. That would be impossible because it's set in Australia. And if it's a CITV feel, then I would imagine it would be for like two, three year olds, and everyone <laughs> going, "This is the ocean, <laughs> and this is the big fish, and we call it a shark." <laughs> that that's, that would have been a CITV feel. Back, back, back back then but uh 
no, this is a pretty good show. Let's let's go into uh, episodes now. And uh, the first episode was called The Girl in the Sea. Yeah, I didn't write the names of the episodes down, as usual. So a girl lives on a desert island. Then a helicopter comes over and lands on a big ship thing. And there's a family on the helicopter. Jason's a big boy. Brett's a little boy. And their mum is called Diane. And she's a marine biologist. They're met by Winston, who's an Indian guy. And he says a joke about being Indian as soon as he they get on the ship. The ship is like the, the, the top side of a of an underwater base and it's kind of super high tech and it's like super cool uh, jason doesn't want to go there because he's got his mates and stuff like that as any teenage boy would so the kind of i put feral girl is kind of swimming about she's kind of like she's not feral is she no she's not but she kind of looks a little bit ropey when you're right what dr winston said to uh, jason as he was going in no, it'd be, it's literally like, a, I, how would I know? I'm Indian or something like that. That's it's like, oh, the cup smiles at the surface because it has seen the wonders of below. And obviously he goes, it's a Japanese expression. And he goes, oh, but I'm Indian. Yeah. How am I supposed to know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, cause I think, oh, what does it mean? And he's like, oh, yeah, how am I supposed to know? I'm Indian kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so she's living like Tom Hanks from Castaway. Um, she's like completely self-sufficient living off the land she does her own fishing she's eating off the, the the land kind of like the trees and stuff like that and she's pretty handy with her survival techniques so uh, back into the um base uh the canteen brett gets food and it gets in with a guy called a, a girl called zoe and i think the guy was called efren but i'm not entirely sure uh cuts back to the girl she's swimming with whales she's a really good swimmer because she can swim from like in the deep ocean as well as the thing and i thought that was pretty cool because have you ever if you've ever swum in the deep bit of the ocean that's pretty scary just being in the water is quite scary at night time she's looking at the stars and then a commander comes in and he stops oh jason's like practicing his crossbow shooting his little tag onto the whale and the jason and then the commander comes in and says no kids are allowed to use the crossbow and then she says but he's really good look and he shoots a kind of bullseye and he says, okay, but only you're allowed. No one else is allowed near you while she's using it. They're chasing a whale to tag it. And the uh, the girl can hear that the whale's in distress. So she goes and sees what it's all about. Um, Jason's kind of got like a target on the whale, but she pops up and says, don't shoot him, don't shoot him. And then he like kind of freaks out. And then uh, the mum takes a cross, she disappears. The mum takes a crossbow and shoots the, the whale with it. It doesn't hurt the whale. It's literally just a tag sits on him like a barnacle the mum's like not happy with him and she says why why did you hesitate and he says there was a girl she doesn't believe him um jason is determined to find the girl so at the end in episode two they're still looking uh, the girl wakes up and she's again living off the land he says to brett don't tell anyone about the girl and he goes well, i'm your brother why would i tell anyone and then he goes to the canteen everyone's laughing at him and throwing stuff at him so vanessa this new girl comes and she has to be partners with jason on her on her projects uh the kids prank vanessa but she gets her own back on brett by making him stranded on this little boat and um the kind of boat drives off by itself it's automated and steering and then it runs out of gas in the middle of nowhere in the ocean then there's a <laughs> so there's like a big tropical storm hit right and if you've seen any film about a tropical storm hitting and hitting the island or whatever you know, take Jurassic Park for example, or hell breaks loose when this when this tropical storm hits, right? And the the it cuts to the boat in the tropical storm, and it's like going up and down, just bobbing ever so slightly in the water. And I was like, that boat would be upside down if that was real. And anyway, so basically, everyone kind of knows now that um, he's missing. The boat gets washed up on the island that Neri is uh, based on, and he gets out and he starts exploring. He's thirsty, drinks some water, then he eats some berries to 
feed himself, but they're poisonous. She finds him and she whips up this antidote and then she says what her name is. Um, and then the girl hears the whale again, uh, who seems to be in distress. So she knows that their people are kind of out looking for him. She puts him back on the boat and says, don't say anything about her. And then Brett tells Jason that he knows about the girl. And then he said, and Jason says, don't worry, we'll find her. And then we'll show everyone that we're not liars. And that was the end of episode two, like two pretty cool, fast paced episodes. Um, it didn't really get to the point where she was <laughs> the main character in it yet, really. But um, yeah, definitely a, a good start for me anyway. So I went all the way to season three and episode one called Danger in the Reef. And so, yeah, basically, um, uh, Winston, that was his name. He calls Diane, Dr. Diane, and it's a different Dr. Diane from uh, the first two seasons. She got recast. Yeah, she did. I, 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 was, I, I thought I was going crazy. I'm thinking, I swear that's not Dr. Diane. I swear <laughs> that. I was, I was like, am I losing my mind here? But yeah, but she's uh, being recast. And he's basically telling them that this uh, company called Uberi have won the contract to construct Orca City. And they've got plans to threaten a nearby fish breeding ground. And Diana is Orca's new environmental officer. And she basically calls a halt to the construction and begins an environmental study on the site. And obviously, uh, Brett is, 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 is concerned about Neri, but Winston's saying, you know what? She's, uh, she's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And yeah, so they're trying to collect samples on a dive and Jason gets trapped under fallen debris and a rescue party is basically assembled. But Neri comes just in time to save Jason as his air was about to run out. And yeah, so there's this evil doctor and he basically wants to blow up all the fishes so that the corporation can carry on with their uh, with their building. They, he tried to set a bomb, but Neri manages to get the bomb and basically throw it away. And Dr. Helgren, that's his name. And yeah, his plans are thwarted by the meddling Neri and the tribunal rules in Diane's favor and Helgren, Dr. Helgren, he basically warns Jason, look you meddling kids y'all not better get involved in my business otherwise y'all gonna get got. That's how that episode ends and then I went all the way to the finale called The Queen. So uh, Neri's asleep and uh, she has a vision of her mother who tells her that it is her time. But Neri's obviously scared of, of, of what's going to come. And on the uh, ocean planet, Shersheba, see, I told you it's going to get all weird now. And she gets taken prisoner by uh, Garon on Malakat's order. These are basically new characters. And there's this big old virus that's happening. But obviously... She has a cure and is only going to release it if she's recognized as the leader. And Neri is basically, she comes to Orca and she's telling the Bates family that she's going to go to this pyramid. And Neri is asking uh, Helen or H-E-L-E-N. And they've been in contact with the underwater pyramid to ask it to allow her to enter the pyramid undetected. And... The pyramid directs Neri to the Cave of Light in the outback. 
And in the underwater pyramid, Malakat is basically ordering the pyramid to destroy Orca. But Neri and Jason arrive, and just as it's about to finish, Shalomorn enters the central chamber and retakes control of the pyramid. And Malakat did not kill Shalomorn, but kept, kept her in a state of suspended animation on the ocean planet as he schemes to take over. And then arriving, coming back to the uh, ocean planet, Shashiba discovered this and set her free. And for the actions, Malakat has to be exiled, but pardons Shashiba since she brought the cure back to the ocean. And Neri is crowned as princess, heir to the throne by her mother. Her mother was alive all along. And yeah, so uh, Neri is basically told that she has to stay on Earth to uh, unite their worlds together. And yeah, Jason's obviously happy because obviously they uh, take a liking to one another and his girl is staying. So he's uh, obviously very thrilled about that. And that was Ocean Girl. I thought this was pretty standard. Well, for me anyway, for the, the bit I watched, it was pretty easy to watch TV show. I thought it was quite good. Yeah, I thought it was all right. Um, if you remember, if you know, if you don't know, Jason goes on to be in Neighbours. He plays the role of Oliver Barnes, I think it was. I remember him in Neighbours a lot. I was looking at him. I was thinking, where have I seen this boy? And, and Brett was in Round the Twist. He was the, uh, the little brother. Knew I recognised bloody Brett. Yeah, I recognised Jason and Brett. I was like, I've seen these two before now. Yep. One went on to be in Neighbours, and I think the other was in uh, Round the Twist before uh, before uh, Ocean Girl. So uh, there you go. Emily of New Moon now. And this show came out in January 1998. And some of the things happening in the world... The Lunar Prospector spacecraft is launched into orbit around the moon and later finds evidence for frozen water in soil and permanently shadowed craters near the moon's poles. 19 European nations agree to forbid human cloning. The Drudge Report breaks the story about US President Bill Clinton's alleged affair with Monica Lewinsky, which would lead to the House of Representatives' impeachment of him. The Wedding Singer was in the cinemas and only if by Enya was in the charts can't go wrong with uh, some of that relaxing uh, hotel lobby music actually you know it's, it's, it's better than hotel lobby music what am I thinking hotel lift music no Enya's better than that get her out of the hotel Emily of New Moon now so this was a Canadian TV series based on the Emily of New Moon series of novels by Lucy Maud Montgomery. And this is the story of a young orphan girl named Emily Starr who is sent to live at New Moon Farm on Prince Edward Island with her aunts Elizabeth and Laura Murray and her cousin Jimmy after her father dies of tuberculosis. She makes friends with Elsie Burnley, Teddy Kent and Perry Miller, the hired boy who Aunt Elizabeth looks down upon because he was born in Stovepipe Town, which is a poorer district. Each of the children has a special gift. Emily was born to be a writer. Teddy is a gifted artist. Elsie is a talented elocutionist. And Perry has the makings of a great politician. 
They also each have a few problems with their families. Emily has a hard time getting along with Aunt Elizabeth, who does not understand her need to write. Elsie's father, Dr. Burnley, ignores Elsie most of the time because of a dreadful secret concerning Elsie's mother. Teddy's mother is jealous of her son's talents and friends, fearing that his love for them will eclipse his love for her. And as a result, she hates Emily. Teddy's drawings and even his pets. Perry is not well off as the other three, so his aunt, so his aunt Tom once tries to make Emily promise to marry Perry when they grow up threatening that unless Emily does so, so she will not pay for Perry's schooling. Other unforgettable characters are Dean Jarback Priest, a quiet, mysterious cynic who wants something he fears is ever unattainable. Fiery Mr. Carpenter, the crusty old school teacher, who's Emily's mentor and honest critic when it comes to evaluating her stories and poems. Simple cousin Jimmy, who recites his poetry when the spirit moves him. Aunt Laura, who is a kind aunt and strict, suspicious Aunt Elizabeth, who yet proves to be an unexpected ally in times of trouble. And it is similar, yeah, to the author's Anne of Green Gables series. It was first published in 1923. And similar to her earlier and more famous Anne of Green Gables series, the Emily novels depicted the life through the eyes of a orphaned girl. Montgomery considered Emily to be a character much closer to her own personality than Anne, and some of the events which occur in the Emily series happen to Montgomery herself. Emily is described as having black hair, purpley violet eyes, elfin ears, pale skin, and a unique and enchanting slow smile. The three Emily novels are Emily of New Moon, which came out in 1923, Emily Climbs in 1925, and Emily's Quest in 1927. And the series follows Emily through her school years and her climb up the symbolic Alpine Path to becoming a successful author. Alpine Path is a phrase from a poem which was inspirational to her from a young age, her being the uh, author. The later books also follow Emily through several romances and adventures. Emily is a heroine with love for the beauty in nature and art, loyalty to her friends, a thirst for knowledge, and a passionate dedication to her writing. So, Emily of New Moon. Uh, this was a period drama. It was like, it was very atmospheric. I thought, I thought that the, um, the period was, was captured beautifully. Um, I thought the acting was, was pretty, pretty damn good. Um, it was quite a, um, definitely drew you in this, this TV show. I'm not sure if you found that. Yeah. I mean, look, Obviously, it's long. It's about almost 50, 50 minutes long. And that's straight up 50 minutes as well. That's not with breaks. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can imagine on the other side of the Atlantic, sitting through all of those commercial breaks, it would have been at least an hour and a half of your uh, of your time. And I know it's bad practice for us to not watch as many of these episodes as we possibly can. But, uh, yeah, I just think times are different now. Obviously, back then, I probably would have sat through this show and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, this is a, an investment investment TV show, so you have to, like, invest a lot of, lot of time 
to uh, watch it. Obviously, if you are a fan of the books, then you will probably be a fan of this. Yeah, I think it might actually be our first uh, period drama, or at least like our first sort of period antebellum drama. At yeah. least until <clears throat> we do Little House on the Prairie. Please tell me you know Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, no, of course I know it. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I was to be about honest, to say it's not. It's not that I think period dramas aren't my cup of tea. That it's just I find them incredibly difficult to watch, which is contrary to my wife. She loves them, so I'm set there like. I didn't have to sit through all of this mess and periods dramas and. I can see this being a good thing, you know, when there was nothing else to watch, you know, and you all sat down watching the same TV, doing the same thing every week. I can see this being a a decent thing to watch, you know, because I say I don't like period dramas. I used to love Heartbeat. Was Heartbeat a period drama? Yeah, it's like set in the 60s. That's not period drama, though. Well, it's not this period, is it? So that counts. But it ain't a Um, period drama as we know it. No, I know, but it's not the the pole dark or the what's it down and abbey. Upstairs, or even... upstairs, downstairs. What's that called? Upstairs, downstairs. Yeah, there's one called upstairs, downstairs, isn't there? Oh, I don't know. I like I said, this is not my genre. I, <laughs> I, I yeah, I can't tell you how difficult it is for me to watch these. Um... Yeah, them kind of shows are period dramas, not like set in the sixties. Point. The point is right. I think period dramas is it's got to be at least hundred years or so. Yeah, like we're talking like post American, well, not post Brexit, obviously, but like even pre Brexit, like pre pre Brexit, like this is like before World War One and after, between World War One and World War Two. So, like, I think The Crown in- initially was a period drama, but I think obviously once it progresses through the years, then it's not a period drama. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was set in the sixties. All right, okay. Well, but anyway, I like the heartbeat, but I didn't like Pole Dark, for example. Yeah, any excuse to bring up heartbeat in your case. I mean, look, yeah, like I said, if I was growing up, I probably would have sat through this and I probably would have enjoyed it because I think back then we had much better concentration spans and nothing else was on. Let's let's not forget yeah. that nothing else was on. You couldn't flick over to Drive to Survive on Netflix, which is out now, season three. Uh, honestly, I know you don't like Formula One, and I know this is going off on a tangent, but Drive to Survive is out, and it's like a it's a roundup of the season. Do you know? Do you like you like the Last Dance, right? Oh yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. It's kind of shot the same and 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 has the same kind of editing style of the Last Dance, but it's Formula One. No, but I'd rather I'd rather it be focused on one guy. So if it's like Michael Schumacher, no, but it does. It, but it has focus groups. So like, so like, it kind of does it on teams. So like, let's say like episode one will be on like Ferrari, even though Ferrari didn't do the first series. Uh, you know, season episode two will be on Red Bull, and 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 anyway, just even have a look through the trailer or the you know the first intro of the thing. It's actually a damn good show. Um, like I said, season three out now. Drive to Survive Netflix. Sadly, this isn't a paid. It's not a paid promotion. I just love it. Back, back, back to this, and uh, no more Formula One. I promise. I don't know what to say because it wasn't bad. Okay, it it was it was forty seven fifty minutes long. It wasn't bad. I did think it dragged on a little bit. I did think there were spells where it was pretty boring. But I mean, it had some quite shocking moments on it as well. To be honest, 
And look, okay, what, what, what can I say? I, I can say something, and I was going to save this till the end of the the end of my episode roundup. This is the single. I only watched one episode, the first episode. I'm a, I, I think it was the first episode. This was the single most depressing first episode of anything I've ever watched ever. <laughs> right before I let you uh, let loose on the uh, on the on the first episode, look. We have done a couple of shows that were like 40, 50 minutes long, and they were pretty outstanding. I think the one that comes to mind is Freaks and Geeks. God, that was very, very, very good. And it was well worth putting that time in. I can't, I I think Heartbreak High was another episode that we did that was um, 40, 50 minutes long. That was, again, really, really good. So it's one of those where I'm kind of comparing it with those kind of shows and maybe it's not fair to do that to Emily of New Moon. It's not fair because obviously it's a different kind of show. It's completely um, made different, but it was passable for me. Passable. There you go. It was passable. I mean, look, the, the set design was great. Costume was great. Acting was great. You could, it, you know, it definitely encapsulated the, the mood, I think just a very depressing time to be alive so um starts off girls on a beach and she's remembering this is this is what kind of annoyed me right straight off the straight out the gate this annoyed me because she's remembering something that may or may not have happened right that's what she says in sorry her the first episode is called eye of heaven oh yeah eye of heaven um so she's remembering something that may or may not have happened now that is a cop-out for any writer of any TV show or anything. Oh, yeah, this might not have happened, by the way. So if I change my mind, I can just change the perspective. At least they're telling you. Yeah, I know, but I didn't like it. Um, So parents looking scared, they're holding the girl, then someone comes to the house, now someone's dead, right? That's how the first sequence played out for me. Now, here's what really happened. Emily's mum. Yeah, so Emily's mum died, and what came to the house was the angel of death. Um, I didn't know that until later. So... The first bit was quite confusing and quite brutal to be like the first scene in the actual episode. Someone gets killed by some geezer on a horse. Um, um, she doesn't like the relatives who come for the funeral. Um, she sees the ghost of her mother and she goes after it to her grave. And then her dad comes and gets her and she says, like, my mum's scared of the storm. And then she breaks the mirror and she thinks she's in for bad luck. And then dad's trying to explain death and grief to his daughter. So he's explaining what happened to her mum and he's also explaining that she's grieving and this is kind of normal and then she's explaining i thought he did this so well yeah i know but i was a bit like oh this is heavy (laughs) like what i think obviously this is what uh late 19th century so obviously the kids were made of a lot more tougher stuff than uh 100 years later the kids are made of so i think i thought he did this bit really well and i liked how he was saying to um to her Oh, so you saw your mum, did you? Oh, what does she look like? And he was, you know, he didn't, he didn't like dismiss it, saying, "Oh, you're crazy, talking about I've, I've seen your mum, you've seen your mum." I'd be like, "Go, you crazy, like get out of here, cool thing." But he was literally like explaining it to her, and he's saying, "Oh, okay, you saw her. How does she look like?" And it was very, um, it was a very touching moment. Yeah, yeah, I really like this. Really, really good. Yeah, I mean, the little girl, but just on a side note, reminds me of the little girl from as a, t- a movie called Paulie and the Bicentennial Man. There's a little girl in that with really curly hair. And she kind of reminds me of the girl of that. So, yeah, so this is where he explains that he thinks that the moon is the eye of heaven so that uh, when people die, they can look down on you. The girl 
girls in school, right? And they're all, there's all the girls are in school and they're reciting the times tables, which is like, ah, uh, I still don't know know my times tables. That I was well. doing it with the class. I was like, I I ain't getting any of these wrong. Eight times one is eight. Eight times two is sixteen. Eight times three is twenty four. Eight times four is thirty two. See, I'm counting on my fingers after that. <laughs> And then this little boy comes in and he's a bit dirty and, and you know, he's a bit, he doesn't say anything. And he kind of teaches starts shouting at him. And this little boy's kind of, he said he's like, he's an Indian boy. And then he's been really horrible to his little kid. And then he says something about him being Indian. Then he says, all Indians have nits or something like that. And then the teacher starts beating him. And then Emily stops, tries to stop him. Oh, what's your name? Talk to me. Yeah. His name is Wokewis, by the way. Woke. Work with. Yeah, I didn't write his name because every time they said it, I couldn't get it. I was like, what? <laughs> Work with. And that's how I kind of phonetically wrote it down in my head. Obviously, if I'm wrong, I, you know, I apologize to the uh, native natives in uh, Canada. When Emily tries to stop him, she gets beaten up. And this is the bit that I absolutely loved. This is my favorite bit of the whole thing. Dad just goes up to the school and straight up well, no, because obviously he's um he's trying to like sort of like console emily and obviously he's like keeps moving uh... oh yeah and she it feels bruises on her back yeah and that's when he's like okay what the hell's been going on yeah it goes straight up to school and beats the teacher up and then hangs him up on the uh the bell thing <laughs> and i was like straight up like yeah if any, anyone lays a hand on your child you're gonna go beat that person doesn't matter who they are but it turns out that this guy is the head of the He's on the board of the school, right? And the doctor's with me. He goes, yeah, but he's on the board, you know? And this and this is where I've pointed out that this, this, these two little words have paved the way for so much abuse in children, in, in, in women, and, 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 and lots of other people. This, these two words, yeah, but. These two words have just, and, and I'm talking in real life, have literally paved the way. Oh yeah, but he's this. Yeah, but he's that. Oh yeah, but he's just like that. You know, and so I was a bit like, yeah, that's kind of like really well, a really well written piece of um, script there. Um, anyway, so the girl's playing with a little boy, and she's teaching him. She's teaching him the alphabet and stuff like that. Um, and then dad gets fired because of what he did to that kid. And then the little boy's teaching Emily how to send prayers, burn the prayers, and send them up in a the smoke kind of thing. Emily gets called so that basically the whole family is being shunned by the village now um because of what happened and emily girl emily's called a witch by this little girl and the family's being shunned and the shop won't even give the dad credit because he hasn't got any uh, uh doesn't have a job and then the dad gets offered a job as a chief writer for a pa- for the patriot new- newspaper is it and, or something like that and it basically this is starting immediately so they're gonna up six and go and then um he's talking to to emily and he's and he's she's very poetic in the way she speaks and he wants her to be the to be a writer now she's like start writing now because you know you're you're kind of damn good at it kind of thing look she's like oh i want to be a writer when i grow up and again more brilliant wisdom he's like you're a writer now don't wait until later and obviously we're finding out you know prior that he's uh, really really sick and obviously, his doctor is basically warning him, look, I know you're sick. Stop lying to me and don't hide the pain. I think it's his tuberculosis. And obviously, he's like to him, yeah, I know you're sick and I'm going to give you these uh, 
medicines and 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 things like that and uh yeah that's when yeah he gets off with the writer and uh so she's talking to herself and she has this kind of thing where she hasn't got any friends so she talks to herself in the mirror and then she's writing this start and then she's like ends up copying i don't know what charles dickens novel this is but she was copying the beginning of a charles dickens novel and she kind of um it might be david copperfield yeah, I, I have no idea. It's the start of a it's quite a famous start, but then she's like, don't do that one because that's copying, basically. Uh, so they're about to leave, and then Dad has to get on the roof to get, collect the cat, and he has like this kind of heart attack sort of thing, and then he falls off the roof. Uh, and then the storm... This is where I understood what was going on before. So there's a storm again, the angel of death comes, and then she says, no, you can't have him yet. I was thinking, why the hell are you going up there getting that cat? Yeah, the cat got up there. It can get down. The Yeah, the cat will get down. Not you, fool. <laughs> yeah. You're sick. I will climb on the roof to get a cat. If it get up there, it can get down, right? Unless it's been up there for a week. I would, might, you know, might start thinking about it. But So the dad's in a bad way, but he's not dead. He wakes in the night and he's kind of screaming. And then Harriet, this carer lady has stolen the money that her mum left on there. And then the little girl, because everyone th- kind of thinks this little girl's like kind of a witch. And she says, like, I've got an evil eye. I'm going to put an evil eye on you if you don't give the money back. And this woman kind of freaks out and gives the money back that she stole. So the dad's going to die. And he says to her, I'll be watching over you. And then just like straight up dies on the thing. And there's kind of a funeral. And Aunt Elizabeth is there. And the rest of the family, she doesn't like. She's doing... And then so she's locked herself in a room with her dad and she's kind of doing this Indian burial thing to send his spirit up. And then everyone's kind of talking about who's going to take her. She's under the table, listening, hiding. And they're talking about the cost and, you know, who's going to do the school and that. And they ended up deciding to draw lots on who's going to take the kid. Um, Aunt Elizabeth is going to take her. She drew the short straw. Uh, and then she is not allowed to bring any of her stuff, not even the cat. And she throws the cat out of the 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 what's it called the the car and then they drive off and that's the end of the first episode and like i said that was like that was relentless depressing like she she had it tough from that from that uh first episode there's, there's, there's this cold world as we found out in this uh in this uh opening episode so uh yeah there you go and the finale which was called a seller of dreams so uh yeah, so this is fast forward. Emily finishes her novel that she was writing and she wants to take it to someone called Teddy. and But Teddy's reluctant to talk about the novel. And eventually Emily's like, look, please tell me the truth about the novel. And then he says, you know what? It's too descriptive. You're too descriptive. Red fire. The, 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 the deep blue sky. Like, why are, you, why are you doing the most? Like, you need, you need to dial it down. Obviously, Emily is upset by the criticism and then she takes it out on her cousin, Elsa, and she's leaving because I think Elsa's going to a, a new town or whatever. And Emily's basically throwing her novel in the bin and she's overhearing like Elsa and, 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 and I think it's Dr. Ned and other people. And they're talking, going, you know, yeah, Emily's really good. You should encourage her writing. She's great. I think at this point, Aunt Elizabeth is 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 not there. I think they're telling Aunt Laura, look, you need to tell her, encourage her. And then obviously Emily's like, okay, damn. And then uh, there's a, a fire that's about to happen and it's sort of close to the book. 
And so Emily's literally like running down the stairs, running down the stairs, and then boom, she falls over a suitcase, falls down the stairs. She's out for the count. So she's having this dream about her novel. And there's a writer who's basically sitting there with an empty book going to Emily, you need to come and sit down and we need to work on your novel. And so the author is telling Emily to talk about how she feels as an orphan, talk about her emotions. Obviously, she has to remember all of the, the emotions of her parents passing away, how her, her aunties, all of them lot feel. And she's having the flashbacks of when Aunt Elizabeth is telling her that she can't write again after she finds letters that Emily wrote, which is basically bad-mouthing Aunt Elizabeth. The doctor's telling her family the next 24 hours are critical because she's not responding to any sort of pain. And back to the dream, she's uh, the author's telling Emily about having to pick characters. You have to have real characters based on your life to write the best kind of story. And telling Emily about love and how that's important. And a man is giving uh, Emily a blank book and pencils to write her stories. And the teacher, who I think Emily was like Emily's sort of mentor is telling Emily that writing is a, a long-term compulsion. You have to want to be a writer all day, every day. And obviously he was saying at the at the time it was different for women writers. I think he was talking about George Eliot was actually a lady. And sometimes I think women writers used to write male pseudonyms just to, so they can get their books sort of um put out there because obviously sometimes at, during that period if it was a a woman writer then they probably would have thought yeah i'm not going to read it emily's in a deep coma and it looks like she does meet charles dickens and she talks about her aunt elizabeth and how much she hates her and charles dickens is like you know what ah oh, i love this aunt elizabeth she's great she's a great perfect character when can I move in? Damn. And he's talking about her aunt Laura, who's basically a frady cat. And Charles is telling Emily, look, you need to write about all of them. And then he leaves her David Copperfield. And she's imagining, uh, I think, so she's basically imagining the death of her own dream. So like all of her things, so like her books, her pens are committed to the ground. And then she remembers what her dad said about being a writer. And she comes around and she's wondering where the writer went to. And then she kind of decides that I'm going to call my novel Seller of Dreams. And then she gets her passion for writing again. And then she starts from the beginning. Quick summary of the other two books. I think the first, uh, the first novel, Emily of New Moon, was just basically the opening series and the uh, the pilot mainly. So yeah, Emily Emily climbs is when uh, Emily she longs to attend Queen's Academy to earn her teaching license, but her tradition bound relatives at New Moon refuse. So she instead offered she's offered the chance to go to Shrewsbury High School with her friends on two conditions. The first that she boards with her dislike Aunt Ruth, but the second is that causes Emily difficulties and that Emily must not write during her high school education. At first, Emily refuses the offer, unable to contemplate a life without any writing. Cousin Jimmy changes the conditions slightly, saying that she cannot write anything that is not true. 
meaning that she must not write stories for the duration of her high school education. Emily does not think this is an improvement, but it turns out to be an excellent exercise for her budding writing career. And at the end of the novel, Emily, now a budding young writer, is offered the opportunity to move to New York with the famous writer Janet Royal to jumpstart her career. And after much thought and hesitation, Emily chooses to remain at her beloved New Moon, intent on finding fame her own way. And in the last book, Emily's Quest, Emily Starr is now 17 and a high school graduate. The residents of New Moon consider her an adult and allow her much more freedom. Emily and Teddy Kent have been friends since childhood. And as Teddy is about to leave for two years to further his education as an artist, Emily believes that their friendship is blossoming into something more. On his last night at home, they vow to think of each other when they see the star Vega of the Liar. And during the next two years, Emily grows as a writer and learns to deal with the loneliness of having her closest friends gone. Elsie and Teddy to Montreal and Perry to Charlottetown. Life at New Moon changes as Mr. Carpenter, Emily's most truthful critic and favourite teacher, dies, warning Emily, even as he dies, to beware of italics. Her budding career as a writer begins to flourish to the point that the Murray clan finally accept her profession. She becomes closer to Dean Priest, even as she fears he wants love when she only has friendship to give. Worst of all, Emily and Teddy become distant as he focuses on building his career and she hides her feelings behind pride. Years pass and it becomes accepted that Emily will be an old maid. Although there are plenty of willing suitors, Mrs. Kent sends Emily a message from Montreal before she dies, begging Emily to tell Teddy the truth about his confession of love. Emily refuses, believing Teddy no longer loves her. Perry and Elsie marry quietly. One night, Emily hears Teddy's characteristic whistle in the garden. She goes to him and years of misunderstanding are swept away with a look. They decide to marry and forgive each other over their years of foolishness and pride. Dean, hearing, their hearing of their engagement, gives the disappointed house to Emily and Teddy and promises his future friendship. And that was Emily of New Moon. I think this show was really well done. I think it was successful in what it tried to achieve. Everything was on point, to be honest, with this show. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought, yeah, like I said, it was. It it was not a bad show at all. It had really good moments in it. It's one of those sort of sit up and curl on the sofa and either watch it or read it. And yeah, it it was it was it was good in that respect. So yeah, now we have to choose between Ocean Girl and Emily of New Moon. So I've got a split decision on this one. So if you're asking me which one did I prefer, the answer is easily Ocean Girl to um, Emily of New Moon. If you're asking me which one was shot better and was more successful in that one, the answer is definitely Emily of New Moon. So I don't really know where to go. I definitely preferred Ocean Girl. So then you pick Ocean Girl then? I'm picking Ocean Girl. Plus it was Australian, so it gets extra points. I'm going to go with Emily of New Moon only because I, I did I did really like some of the moments in the first episode. There were some real, real gems that I thought, you know, you can take forward in life and, and, and things of that nature. So in that sense, yeah, I thought I thought, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Emily, Emily of New Moon. I thought this was a really, like you said, really well done show, really successful. And yeah, both shows were. Not 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 necessarily the best shows we've done, 
but definitely sort of leaning towards being the good good shows that we've done so uh yeah there you go good stuff main event time now and xena warrior princess and this show came out in september 1995 and some of the things happening in the world ebay is founded and the trial against former italian prime minister giulio andreotti who's accused of mafia connection begins british boxer frank bruno beats american champion oliver mccall in a unanimous 12 round points decision in london for the wbc heavyweight title seven was in the cinemas and fantasy by mariah carey was in the charts i think i actually know this one that's like one out of three today some rush hour that's why i just yeah, uh, song is, it's always on rush hour with the little girl singing yeah yeah just before car. she gets kidnapped yeah it says it's, it's i always just remember it because of that and because mariah carey is uh is 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 an icon but so, mostly uh, rush hour let's be honest that song just that song perhaps but obviously mariah carey is mariah carey so uh yeah she she is bigger than rush hour and everything that goes with it so uh, yeah big up to you mariah carey you are brilliant um so xena warrior princess so this was a american fantasy tv series filmed on location in new zealand Critics have praised the series for its strong female protagonist and it has acquired a strong cult following attention in fandom, parody and academia and has influenced the direction of other television series. Writer, director and producer Robert Tappart created the series in 1995 under his production tag Renaissance Pictures with exec producers RJ Stewart and Sam Ramy. And the series follows Xena, who's played by Lucy Lawless, an infamous warrior on a quest to seek redemption for her past sins against the innocent by using her formidable fighting skills to now help those who are unable to defend themselves. Xena is accompanied by Gabrielle, who's played by Renee O'Connor, who during the series changes from a simple farm girl into an Amazon warrior and Xena's comrade in arms. Her initial naivety helps to balance Xena and assists her in recognizing and pursuing the greater good. In 2012, star Lucy Lawless confirmed that her character Xena was from ancient Bulgaria or known at the time as Thrace. So I was thinking that's Thrace. Because I've, you know, when people talk about old places in the world, so like Mesopotamia and Constantinople. Interesting. Thrace. The show is a spin off of the TV series Hercules The Legendary Journeys. And the saga began with three episodes in Hercules where Xena was a recurring character originally scheduled to die in her third appearance. Aware that the character of Xena had become very successful among the public. The producers of the series decided to launch a spin-off series based on her adventures. Xena became a successful show which has aired in more than 108 countries around the world since 1998. And in 2004 and 2007, it ranked 9 and 10 on TV Guide's top cult shows ever. 
and the title character ranked 100 on Bravo's 100's Greatest TV Characters. Xena's success has led to hundreds of tie-in products, including comic books, video games, and conventions. Realized annual releases in 1998 in Pasadena, California, and in London. The series soared past its predecessor in ratings and in popularity, and in its second season, it became the top-rated syndicated drama series on American television. Xena Warrior Princess is set primarily in a fantasy version of ancient Greece, sometimes alluding to Roman Greece, and was filmed in New Zealand. Some filming locations are confidential, but many scenes were recorded in places such as the Whittaker Ranges Regional Park, part of Auckland's regional parks, often credited at the end of the episodes. The first choice for Xena was British actress Vanessa Angel, but an illness prevented her from travelling and the role was offered to four other actresses before the relatively unknown Lucy Lawless was given the role. Sunny Dench was cast as Gabrielle, but she did not want to leave her boyfriend in the United States, so O'Connor, who had appeared in Hercules in another role, was chosen. The ancient Greece depicted in the show is largely derived from historical locations and customs, modifying known places and events, battles, trading routes, towns, and so on, to generate an attractive fictional world. The settlements are presented as a mixture of walled villages and rural hamlets set in a lush, green, mountainous landscape. They are often seen under attack from warlords and travelling between them involves frequent encounters with small bands of outlaws. All of the main towns are named after historic towns of ancient Greece and exhibit some of their essential characteristics. Amphipolis is the birthplace of Xena. Potidaea is the birthplace of Gabrielle. Athens, birthplace of Joxa. Corinth, Delphi and Syra is uh, the birthplace of Callisto, which was burnt to the ground by Xena's army. And as the show progressed, events took place throughout more modern times and places from Cleopatra's Alexandria to Julius Caesar's Rome. The mythology of the show transitioned from that of the Olympian gods to include Judeo-Christian elements. Eastern religions were touched on as well with little regard to accurate time and place concerns. One episode, The Way, which loosely interpreted elements of Hinduism as major plot points, generated controversy, requiring, requiring the producers to add a disclaimer at the head of the episode and a tag explaining the episode's intention at its end. Mythological and supernatural locations are presented as equally real physical places, often accessed through the physical portals hidden in the landscape, such as lakes and caves. They include the Elysian Fields, Tartarus and the River Styx, Valhalla, Heaven and Hell. The inhabitants of such places, gods, mythological beings and forces are for the most part manifested as human characters who can move at will between their domains and the real world. Ares, the Greek god of war, for instance, is an egotistical man who wears a studded black leather, and Aphrodite, goddess of love, is California Valley Girl, who uses typical Valley Girl slang and dresses in flowing, translucent pink gowns. 
In addition to Greece, Zena and Gabrielle visit many countries during their travels, including Italy, usually referred to by its capital Rome, China, usually called Chin, Japan, known as Japa, Great Britain, known as Britannia, India, Siberia, Egypt, called the land of the pharaohs, Sahara is Morocco, and several Scandinavian countries called Norseland. And yeah, and, and this was to remain in keeping with the ancient world and avoid using modern names. So, Xena, Warrior Princess. I used to love this when I was growing up. I used to love this TV show. I used to watch it with the whole family. I even had the video game. And I've just I've just flicked up a uh, video of it on, on, on YouTube now just to remember the gameplay. And uh, in the first episode, there's a giant that's been blinded. And you actually get to blind that that giant as one of the bosses in one of the episodes. So uh, so one of the levels. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I thought this is pretty cool episode. Uh, So cool uh, TV show. I'm going to turn it off because that's actually distracting me now. Um, uh, And yeah, I I I thought it was like, obviously completely driven by um, female characters who uh, kick, kick ass all the way through the, through the series. Um, I had no idea it was a spin-off, though. Um, I didn't watch any of the Hercules sort of stuff. I'm not sure if you did. Um, yeah, I did watch Hercules. That was where I knew um, Xena from. It was... Um, yeah, I kind of knew her from from Hercules. And it was one of those where I knew Hercules and I watched it. And then I knew Xena. And then I watched Xena as well. I mean, this has come on Channel 5. Is one of those um, Channel Five early kind of like shows that they kind of picked up on and they they showed. Yeah, I I I I I liked it. And uh, as I was saying at the beginning of the show, her her cry was annoying after hearing it so many times. I didn't think I I didn't think it was so part of her conversation. Did Lucy Lawless do that cry, or was it added in afterwards? Do we know? I think she did it. Why would I mean, anybody else do it? Because it, I mean, that's a hard note to reach. I'm sure for anyone. It's not that hard, I don't think. I think it's. I think it's a perfectly, uh, a perfectly uh, high note to uh, to reach. But uh, no, I thought. Yeah, I thought. I thought this was a, a pretty good show. It's quite weird that Lucy Lawless wasn't the first choice to be Xena. But she is Xena Warrior Princess. And you know what? It's so crazy because you can imagine the producers thinking, you know what? Look at all these people after Hercules. Obviously, you're thinking Hercules is a big, strong man. Nothing can beat Hercules. And this guy is going to win us the ratings. And they're probably thinking, oh, Xena? So they're getting all these fan mail going, oh, my God, we love Xena. We love Xena. Do a a show on Xena. And they're thinking, okay, go on, man. We'll do Xena. And it ended up like wiping Hercules to the ground, really, in terms of in terms of ratings. I mean, it it was like proper cheesy at times, um, with you know, with the with the script and the stuff that's going on and the the way it's delivered. But I mean, it's it's cool, man. Like it's you don't mind that sort of thing when it's in the right context, and I think it was perfect. Yeah, 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 and it's uh. It's one of those things where sometimes this is when the spin-off is like, 
oh, it's beautiful. It's just, it's great. It kind of worked, and Zeno kind of took a a life a life of its own, really, and it became a much bigger program than I don't. I, yeah, I think Hercules was were there and whatever, but compared to Zena, like Zena kind of like went straight to the moon, really. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, I definitely watched it. I'm just trying to look up now if I actually saw. No, and I'm looking at the TV show stuff, and I can 100% say that I never watched Hercules. The pilot, I believe, was called Sins of the Past. Oh, yeah, 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 it was, yeah. Um, I didn't write down the name of the episode. I was trying to figure it out. Um, So I I watched episode one of series one and the last episode of series one as well, Um, called... So about is there a doctor in the house? Um, so episode one, she has. So basically, it's one thing I didn't know. Zena was a baddie as well. I didn't know this. I didn't know this about her. Um, so uh, flashbacks of fighting. Everyone's chanting her name, and now she's in the village. Uh, kids. She go, comes across this kid in the village, and he says, "Zena killed my parents." I was a bit like brutal. Um, she takes off the armor and weapons and buries them. And so basically she's trying to kind of reconcile her past. She doesn't want to this be little this. Boy's a lying little git. You need to you need to say that too. Because obviously he's a because he's like to her, Oh, do you have any food spare? And obviously she's like, Yeah, there's no food spare. And then he like unveils something and he sees that like, this big block of cheese he's got in his mouth. I didn't see that bit. <laughs> I'm like, you you <laughs> lying little git. <laughs> <laughs> so she and so a man comes and she's going to kid and he's going to kidnap all the girls or uh, i can't you know. believe he didn't spot xena because they're all coming in she's like literally like half hiding in the bushes i'm like i can see your ass i was watching this turkish drama the other uh yesterday and i was and these uh what they called the crusaders are hiding in the bushes right in their bright white tunics and their massive red crosses on. I was like, at any point, if someone goes, "Guys, should we wear should we wear some green to blend in a little bit more?" <laughs> Just like beacons hiding in the bushes. Um, so, um, so he comes and kidnaps the girls, and then she basically takes out this entire uh, army with her war cry. I think it's Arabian esque. Uh, you disagree? Um, so basically, then she finds the weapons again, and then she's. Um, with to the leader, she goes, You're with Draco. Tells it, so Zena says hello, and then she bashes him up. So the village wants her to go. She she goes to the village, they want her to go because they know who she is. Gabrielle is there, is where you first meet her, and she's saying that she wants her to stay, but then she says, All right, I'll go with you, kind of thing. And then the baddies like go to the baddies camp and they're shooting some arrows in this guy, and he's like catching all the arrows. Um, and then Zena comes in, and this girl turns out to be Draco. So she asks for a favor. And she says, can you spare that village? And then she's, he says, I'll spare it if you join me, kind of thing. And then she says, like, do one, kind of thing. And he either wants her as a lover or he wants her as a to kill her in the battlefield, basically. That's the two things he wants to do. Back at the village, go, uh, Gabrielle's sneaking out because she wants to be a warrior. Um, so she leaves. Uh, Zena's on the road and she comes across a bridge. The horse gets spooked and the giant comes out and it's blind. This is what I was talking about. In the game, you actually fight this giant and you blind him with your little disc thing um uh she ends up knocking him over uh, and getting past him i kind of felt sorry for the giant i'm not sure if you felt the same i felt kind of f- f- felt like he was a nicer character than um thing anyway back into the baddies they're gonna march onto anthropolis and burn everything but in xena's name so she's gonna go to her hometown 
they're going to go to her hometown and say, Zena told us to come burn everything. So um, Gabriel gets captured by the giant, but she kind of tricks it into letting her go. She says, I'll, go, I'll bring Zena's eyes to you um, and uh, I'll kill her for you. So he lets her go. Anyway, so Gabriel, Gabrielle's in this field laying down and then she wants a lift. Uh, it turns out she's a bit of a blagger. So she's trying to blag her way onto this um, ride. And she goes, oh, I'm with this guy. Um, this guy's my dad. And he goes, oh, the horse breeder. Turns out there's no horse breeders in this town. She gets caught out, but she still gets a lift. Uh, Zena comes to a village and she sees her mum. Uh, her mum draws a sword on her and no one likes her. Everyone's disowned her and they want her to go. The baddies are marching on a village uh, and the villain guy throws a knife at... Oh, so the the um the villain guy throws a knife at Draco, but basically Draco just kind of like does him in. Uh, Zena wants to be good, but no one believes her. Gabrielle comes to comes to her defense and says like she's good now, like to the whole village. Um, she goes to this temple or crypt where her dad's buried, and then the baddies come to the village and um they say like the the village group together got all their loot together and said look you can have this just don't like don't kill us and every time you're in the area we'll supply your soldiers with um with with food and they said basically no and they says uh, all i want is Zena to come join us and she says i won't join you and then he says you have to have a fight the first one to hit the floor loses and gets killed and they have a fight like kind of like a gladiators fight with staffs uh then draco after a big fight draco hits the ground and then Zena says, look, I won't get you killed, but if you have to leave and take all your soldiers with you. Mum's now happy with her. She, They accept her. Zena has to go on an adventure and Gabrielle joins her. And that was the first episode of season one. And I've, the last, next one I watched was the last episode of season one. I did like how uh, when Gabrielle was trying to run away. And she makes a noise. Obviously, she kind of decided, not, not the noise, but it's like when she decides that, you know, look, this village life, I'm not about this life. And I like the her sister or whatever is like, oh, even I can beat you up. What are you talking about? I want to be a warrior. Yeah, exactly. He goes, yeah, but you're big for your age. And I like how they she tricks a giant as well. That was very clever. Yeah, I thought, but that kind of just made me feel even more sorry for the giant. I did like Gabrielle. She's like, she's my favorite sidekick in terms of like all these, you know, every every superhero needs a sidekick. I, I like Gabrielle. I I thought she was. Uh, one of her favourites. And obviously in the end, Zena's telling her, look, this life is going to be trouble. But obviously Gabrielle's like, I got your back, sis. I got you. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. And then you, the last episode I watched was the finale, which was almost two hours long. So uh... Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so this was just another 45-minute one. So um, this one is, is there a doc in the house? So Zena and her sidekick, Gabrielle, uh, heading somewhere. I've written that wrong, but okay. it's basically the baddies have injured this woman and she's preggers. This bit was like super, really super cheesy. So the sidekick's called Gabrielle. Was, uh, so I thought this was the first episode. That's my um, reason my notes might be a bit skewed here. So, um, and then I went back and watched episode one. So Xena uh, goes to a, a find a safe place for this woman to give birth. And she comes across an army. She takes out the soldier with her disc. Uh, and then she finishes him. She proper finishes him with a sword though. Like I thought it was, it was more violent than I remember. And then she takes the woman to this temple um, and she also has one of the baddies as like a prisoner. Uh, she gives her a pep talk and then she has a go at the priest. So basically she walks into this thing where the priest says like, you go away, we've got this covered, we're going to pray for these people's health, right? But they don't know a thing about medicine. <laughs> and then she waltzes into this place and she kind of takes over. And I can see why this would ruffle some feathers. And then she kind of starts to like heal people 
known she knows a lot about this medicine uh it turns out gabriel's a bard and she can tell stories the priest is going to kick her out he he comes with the soldiers but but and it ended up so that she can stay so this man has a gangrene leg and xena has to cut it off uh man asks gabriel to get his little boy because he's outside and he's hiding she can't, she, she literally next scene she's back in to the temple but she's injured the pregnant woman comes uh for someone oh yeah for, she's literally like giving birth at this point like she's in labor and she's walking around like she's like oh she one one moment she's like oh i'm the most immobile helpless person in the world and then she's walking around uh, so basically the war has kind of now shifted up to this point and um the people are kind of coming in so they're trying to evacuate the priest's son gets shot uh, everyone's evacuating the temple's being destroyed the general man who's her prisoner might have might have to deliver the baby and then the baby's and then he goes oh that was a strong kick and i was like mm, the babies don't really cook during the pushing bit um and then they do like a c-section on this woman so she's a nurse a surgeon a midwife and a psychologist so far and an a e doctor and and then it's a fairly realistic newborn but it's like a centaur it's like a half a goat or something half of something with hooves uh, on its bottom half soldiers are in the temple and and so the soldiers kind of storm the temple and the general who's in there as a prisoner says look stop i'm ending the war everything I've been, kind of everything's kind of changed my mind watching people do you know what people are doing here and he sends the soldiers away and says tell everyone to stop fighting and then gabriel is like dying and then um Zina gives her mouth to mouth and she's kind of hitting her chest like why did you die why did you die and then um it makes her come back alive and then everyone's happy and that was the end of that episode so yeah the finale which was a, a two-parter called a friend in need so yeah this was like hour 40 hour 50 minutes and yeah so uh Zena and Gabrielle are wondering what they should do next and they're thinking you know what we should go to the land of the pharaohs which is obviously egypt and there's a messenger who wants to speak to Zena, and it's a message from akimi so yeah so obviously gabrielle's like yeah who's akimi and then obviously they're telling the story of when the messenger's telling the story of him and his monk friend getting into trouble and they come across the lord of darkness who steals their soul away from them and then akimi is telling the monk to go and find xena and to go and get her asap so they have to go to the land of the rising sun japa or japan and this is where it's all happening and Zena's is telling gabriel look i know you want to go to the land of the pharaohs but i have to go and, and sort this out and gabriel's like you know i'm going to come with you so yeah, Zena's telling Gabrielle about the time she went to Jappa for the first time and met with Akimi. And obviously it turns into a fight, as always. And Zena taught Akimi how to fight. And Akimi gives Zena a note talking about how much she sort of appreciates her for everything she's done. But uh, Zena's like, yeah, I don't like her. She, she hurt me deeply, whatever. And Akimi's taking Xena to a cold grave and she's talking to her grandfather from beyond the grave somehow. And Akimi's like, basically, look, in order to win your battles, you're going to need a katana sword. But Xena's like, yeah, I'm good with my sword. But Akimi's like, yeah, if you don't have a katana sword, then uh, you're not going to go very far. Xena is teaching Akimi the pinch, which is her best move. And... 
obviously Gabrielle is furious. She's like, how can you teach this girl the, the pinch? You're your biggest move. You ain't even taught me how to do the pinch. And the Lord of uh, Darkness is telling Akimi that she's he's going to get to Xena before she can come to her. And so they're burning Haiguchi to the ground. So Xena and Gabrielle get there in time and they release water and the city is saved. And Xena's remembering when Akimi used the pinch to murder her own dad because um, apparently he did some bad stuff and he killed everybody in the village. And she's like, yes, I have avenged him now. And so, and then Akimi's like to Xena, you have to kill me and you have to put my ashes next to my family and to restore my honor. And so Akimi stabs herself and then Xena kind of finishes the job and chops her head off. And obviously people in the town are not happy to see Xena again. And obviously they'll talk and Xena got really, really drunk. She's trying to get the ashes, but then her family, like the, the people of the town, like destroyed the ashes. And there's like lots of hostility because uh, Akimi killed her father and Xena retaliated by destroying their hometown by accident, of course. And Xena wants to make amends. And Zena wants to teach Gabrielle everything she knows. So she wants to teach Gabrielle the pinch. And obviously with the pinch, you have 30 seconds to live. And in those 30 seconds, Zena's like to Gabrielle, look, this is what I want to look at. If I had 30 seconds to live, I love you. And yeah, this is, um, you, you, you mean a lot to me. And this is what I want to tell you. And then obviously let's go of the uh, hold. And everyone's preparing for the big battle. And Xena is basically getting struck with arrows. So this uh, Yutoshi and his army are proving to be too much for Xena. And she's getting struck with arrows left, right and center. And she's like on the brink of death. And she's basically still fighting as she gets to Yutoshi. And then boom. Yutoshi knocks her out and Xena is dead. And then she goes, she's reunited with Akimi in the underworld. And Gabrielle is, doesn't believe that Xena could be dead. She can like hear Xena's name being called out. And the Lord of Darkness is summoned and he's going after Xena. And now Xena is in the power of the Dark Lord, but she's like, yeah, I'm only in the power so that I can get to Yotoshi. And Xena runs into Gabrielle somehow, even though she's technically dead. And she tells that she's going to kill the, the, the Lord of the Dark Lands. Xena tells Gabrielle that she's dead and that she has to kill Yotoshi to restore all of the lost souls. Gabrielle finds out that there might be a way to save Xena, but it'll be at the risk of her own life. And Gabrielle's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. So she has to go and find Xena's body and take it to Mount Fuji. And she has to go through Yatoshi first, manages to apprehend him and gets to Xena's head and her corpse. And Xena is basically trying to attack the Lord of Darkness and manages to subdue him. And Xena must go to Mount Fuji to release the souls. And Akimi tells Zena that if Gabrielle succeeds, 
that she will be sacrificed. So Akimi's basically telling Zena what Gabrielle is doing. So Zena's trying to get there so that Gabrielle doesn't do this. And Yutoshi catches up with Gabrielle at Mount Fuji. And the Lord of Darkness gets to the fountain. And there's basically a fountain. So you have to drink from the fountain. And then you can release all the souls or whatever. Gabrielle catches up with Zena. But then the Lord of Darkness is basically like swallowing everything in his path. And yeah, so basically Gabrielle has this tattoo on her back that Akimi drew on her before going to Mount Fuji. And the tattoo basically helps Gabrielle. She gives the water to Xena and Xena is restored. And they have to try and find Xena's ashes before sundown. Xena finally takes out the Lord of Darkness. And Gabrielle takes out Yatoshi. Xena has redeemed herself and everybody else. And all of the souls are redeemed. Xena tells Gabrielle that she can't be revived. Otherwise, the souls redeemed would be lost. So Gabrielle has to go on without Xena. And she's telling Gabrielle, do you know what? You're going to the land of the pharaohs, so you should go. Obviously, if you lot ain't seen Xena, then you should know that, yeah, Xena dies. Xena does not make it to the end. I didn't know that. Well, now you know. It sounds like a quite a decent last episode, though. To be honest, yeah, it was very lots of uh, lots of stuff going down, big action, and uh, yeah, Gabrielle is gonna go travel without Zena. I would like to see a Gabrielle spin-off show. If I'm being honest with you, I liked her enough to the point where I would be invested in a in a in a Gabrielle special. Or not special, but like a spin-off. See what she gets up to in life. See what she gets up to in life and, and see what's good. So uh, any last thoughts on uh, Xena? No, I mean, it's just like, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I liked it when I was a kid. I liked it again now. Um, it's super cheesy. Um, but if that's your cup of tea, then, you know, it's, you're going to really enjoy it. It's, it's, I think it's done pretty well. Um, the action scenes are pretty well choreographed and... Yeah, I thought it's. I thought it held up, which is quite surprising considering how old it was and the sort of thing it was doing. You know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did, I did think it um, held up. Yeah, it was very corny. I, I do agree with that. Really corny at times, but yeah, I, I like corny. I like cheesy, so uh, I didn't have too much problems with that. And uh, yeah, Lucy Lawless, badass, great Xena the Warrior Princess could not have seen it with anybody else gabrielle again was really good really liked her character one of my uh one of my faves so uh yeah all in all really really good show gets uh two thumbs up from me on that note we'll bring this episode to an end yesterday's capers is available wherever you get your podcast from so uh make sure you uh have your notifications on when new episodes are downloaded Obviously, I've sliced up and chopped up the the chat that we had about uh, Sarah Everard and Harry and Meghan. So you can find those on our social media channels. And uh, yeah, you can find us on uh, Instagram at Yesterday's Capers 1. On Twitter, it's Yesterday Capers. It's YouTube.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. It's Facebook.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. You can find me on the socials. On Instagram, it's Abdullah underscore Molim. 
on Twitter. It's Abdullah Malum, all one word. Give me a follow and uh, join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers.